Hey everyone, I'm Asha Lapps. And I'm Kurt Henry. And we are your hosts for Live Harmony. Live Harmony is about stories that inspire. Being, doing, and having more. Impacting our communities. Relationships that transform. Learning, growing, and giving. Live Harmony, living the life we love. And loving the life we live. Today's guest for Live Harmony is teacher coach Paul Melnick, affectionately known as Melnick. He is the head coach for Father Henry Carr Crusaders High School basketball team. Since joining Father Henry Carr in 2003, the program has been a provincial powerhouse and has developed a formidable reputation on the basketball scene. Many of his players have competed at the highest level of basketball, including the NCAA, Canadian national team, and the NBA. While other programs have cycled through periods of irrelevance, Father Henry Carr basketball program has been one of the most consistently competitive programs in high school across North America. Coach Melnick has had the honor of coaching in many postseason events, including various all-star and all-Canadian games. He won 10 city championships, six of them consecutive, seven provincial medals, including two copper, two bronze, two silver, one gold. He boasts an overall 81% win-loss record with 547 wins and 128 losses. Okay, welcome, Coach. Thanks for uh, having me. Get, yes, thank you for coming. It's it's been a it's been a while. Great to connect. And so, thank you for coming out. I'll just give a little bit of background. Obviously, you're my high school coach. One of your high school time, coaches. One of my high school coaches. And so, I'm just here. Hopefully, we're going to talk about a building a a winning culture. And I just want to start with you for a bit, which is your journey of becoming a coach. I know when I was there, like you said, you were an assistant, and then you finally decided to take that leap to become a head coach. If you can just give a little bit of background on that decision and kind of how it came about. Well, I, I didn't really actually decide. Um, coach Petrushak retired from teaching, and we coached together one more year. I guess the school, in their infinite wisdom, wanted to go in a different direction. As I recall, the phys ed head of the time wanted Coach Petrushak to return and didn't want me to return. And the reality was he was jealous that, you know, all the kids respected me and not him. And, you know, when you're new at a school, it just takes time. They'll respect you. They'll like you. It takes time. Anyways, so Coach P wasn't having that. So we didn't go back. I took a couple of years off and uh, started coaching. Actually, my first, I was a head coach at the Bantam level. But does that really count? Those are grade nines. It's all about development. and you know, trying to get them as much reps as possible. But I started coaching in uh, with the Toronto All-Star program. I was always at the tryouts helping out, and I got the opportunity to coach the young guys. And I took it very seriously, you know, because I hadn't coached for a couple of years. And I'm like, you know, we got to do well. I, I have pride, you know. I have pride. It's not ego, but I, I have pride in, you know, what we do. And, uh, you know, I guess some people may have thought, well, I'm going to be exactly like Coach Petrushak. And there's a lot of a lot of things that are exactly like him, but I'm a little different. He started coaching in the 60s. It was a different time. So I tried to expand my horizons a bit, and we did really well. We had I had the younger guys. I had the grade 10s and grade 11s. And we played very well, and we almost beat the number one team, and we were very structured and organized. And, you know, obviously, I, I'm, I'm a defensive coach first, but, you know, when you're coaching an all-star team, it's pretty hard to, 
to get your defensive stuff in in a short period of time. But so I got very, very, I was, I was very attuned to the offensive side of things and we, we had some good stuff and, and, and it was like, wow, you know, and I was proud of myself. I was proud of the kids and what I was able to do on my own. And an opportunity arose through uh, one of your former teammates, one of my former players, Phil Edwards, uh, where I guess Phil had just had uh, like maybe his first child or his second child. I think it was his second child. And he was coaching at CW Jeffries after uh, the previous coach had left. And he asked me to come up and, and, and coach. I, I knew he had some talented kids up there. And uh, I said, well, I'll do it as long as I'm the head coach. I, I, didn't, I didn't mean to be arrogant, but I think that's what he wanted anyways. He wanted me to run the show and he would assist when he could and whatnot, but he would deal with the school. And we had a great season. You know, mind you, we had two studs. I'm sure you know them, uh, Shane Morrison and Kevin Francis. Shane Morrison oh, yeah. had NBA athleticism and was a really good player too. He just wasn't an athlete. He could really play. Um, and an underrated defensive player as well. And Kevin Francis, who was about six, seven or six, eight, you know, could shoot the ball and could play a little inside, but he, though, those guys were really good, man. And I, and I enjoyed coaching them. Anyway, we had a great season. We, uh, we, we, we lost to Oakwood very early in the year at the Runaby tournament in overtime. And then we beat Oakwood for the right to go to offset and we smashed them. Like it wasn't even close. Like we ran them up and down the floor. And uh, that was a semifinal, but there was no Toronto championship that year. You know, so we didn't get to play Eastern again. We had lost to Eastern three times and they were defending champions. They were very good. And every time we played them, it got a little closer and a little closer. Uh, so we go to Offsa and we lost in the quarterfinals. Again, we probably should have won. We were up in regulation and they missed a shot or a free throw and Shane got a defensive rebound. And, and I guess to protect the ball, he kind of turtled under our own basket and they reached in and they called the was the quickest five second call I've ever seen in the history of basketball. And who did the possession go to the other team? And they had a three, I think they hit a three to tie it or something like that. And they beat us in overtime. And uh, it's funny because it was a Niagara Falls team that beat us. And it was a Niagara Falls referee that made the five second call. Otherwise we're off to the semifinals, which would have been uh you know, that would have been huge for C.W. Jeffries. You know, first time going to the highest level. They had never gone to the highest level. I don't say AAA or Quad A because that had changed over the years. That time it was Quad A. They had never gone to the highest level. And, you know, when I got there, I said, guys, I've always competed at the highest level, my teams. So that's my suggestion, but I'll leave it up to you. So we went Quad A and we lost in the quarters. And I still believe it was their best season in the history of C.W. Jeffries basketball. Um, so that's how I... That's the two first things as a head coach. And then, you know, I didn't go back to C.W. Jeffries again. There's always, it's funny from my perspective, and I could be wrong. There's a lot of jealousy in basketball. And I believe there was some behind the scenes stuff and it had nothing to do with Phil. It had to do with somebody else, whatever. I didn't go back to Jeffries. The father, Henry Carr coach had heard I wasn't at Jeffries again. And he had really liked what I'd done. The, that year at Jeffries and Petrashak was at Henry Carr helping him. So he asked me to come on board as an assistant. And I was like, you know, I've been a head coach now. Big deal, right? Like, oh, you're a head coach. Um, do I want to be an assistant? I said, well, you know, I can come and go as I please. I go when I can. When I can't go, I don't go. They'll be fine. He's, he's an experienced head coach. Petrashak's there. They got a pretty good team, whatever. So I go to the first tryout or the first workout, whatever we called it in September. I ran the whole thing. By that Friday, that coach had transferred to another school. So he had a plan. His name was Anthony DeSantis. He had a plan. Get me in, and then he would go. 
And then I became the head coach of Father Henry Carr as a community coach. And then in meeting some of the staff throughout the year, you know, oh, you're a teacher. Oh, you're a math teacher. We need good math teachers. Why don't you apply? I applied. They got me in. I was on staff the next year, and I've been there 17 years. Thank you. For Sorry that. for being so long-winded. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is, that's some good background because I, I wasn't here for most of it. I was in school and doing playing myself, and then I came back and I started working. So it's really good to get that that background from you. You touched a lot about just desire to, to win and to compete, not just win, but win at the highest level that you're at. And where does that come from for you? Or what do you attribute it to? Well, I mean, I think that's pretty obvious. Um, I got to run a meet in September 1982, and the team was pretty good that year. They probably underachieved. You know, it's funny, of course, people would accuse Coach Petrushak of recruiting all the all these guys wanted to transfer in. But they were transferring everywhere. They were transferring to Eastern. They were transferring to Oakwood. They were transferring to Martin Grove, blah, blah, blah. But Runabeat started to win. They, they got the silver in 84, which was my first off. So I went to in grade 10. A teacher drove me up. I got to write my exam early. Like, I, it, was a, it was a phenomenal experience to go as a grade 10 and get to watch you know, and, and the rivalries in Toronto back then were fantastic. Running me George Travi, running me Eastern, running me Oakwood, all those good teams, right? And if I'm leaving somebody out, it's not intentional. So they get silver in 84, they get gold in 85. And of course, I'm not good enough to play, right? I play Bantam basketball and that was it. So I became a manager and I listened to everything they said. I watched every move they made. And then we come back in 86 and we get lucky and win it again because we really got lucky. We won like seven games out of the last 10 by one or two points. Um, and that's silver, gold, gold, but that that's, that's a dynasty, you know, and then 87, we should have won it. There was a big, uh, a big transfer brouhaha. Wayne Robertson and Peter Sorellis were declared ineligible at the end of the year. And then the principal got a court injunction and they, they were eligible to play it off. So we go in as the one, number one seed and we flop. It was just too much of an emotional roller coaster, uh, you know, uh, but we could have won in 87. That's how they were really good. You know, and then 88, we lose to Bathurst in a, in a tough semifinal at Afsa. And uh, we peaked at the right time, we get the bronze. And then 89, they win out gold. And 90, they win gold. And, you know, so when you grow up, and this is how you learn the game, you think that's how it's supposed to be. Like, you're supposed to, you know, yes, you're supposed to develop and all the good things about making them best basketball players. But it's always nice to win. So, you know, I guess I guess I figured I could do the same thing. I could develop players and we could win. Awesome. So along those lines, one of the things that I'm very curious about from your perspective as a hedge coach is dealing with the athlete and creating that, that mindset within them and, and positioning them to be ready to play, to be ready to compete. How do you look at that? How do you approach that? I think everything that you do in your interactions with the athletes from the first minute whether it's tryouts or ID sessions, like we call them now at the prep game, everything that you do exudes what you want. You have to lead by example. You have to talk to them in a certain way. You have to lead them in a certain way. Your practices or your tryouts or your whatever you want to call them, everything has to be the, and, and that's how we practice. We compete in practice. We work hard in practice. We play as a team in practice. We support each other in practice. We compete against each other in practice, but we're, we're still a team. You know, one, one of the, and I've, I've said this many times, one of the biggest compliments from a, a competing coach is your, your guys just play so hard. How do you get them to play so hard? And, and I don't know the secret. I guess it's because we practice like that every single day. 
you know, and then it even progressed from that where in drills, we would, we would time it or, or count the baskets made or put some kind of limit on it or, or some, some way to measure it versus the next time. Right. So, you know, you started tracking things and everything is a competition and everything is trying to reach the level or exceed the level. You can't go below the level, but if you do, we might try it again, but next practice we'll definitely try it again. And you're just trying to constantly meet and exceed these expectations or these goals that you set for yourself, you know, and, and it's your personality too. Like I, I'm, I'm a fiery guy. I want to compete. So I want my players to do the same thing. I mean, you know, I mean, that might be a little bit different from back then, but you know, when you go hard, good things come. You, you have me reminiscing and just the desire to win. And, and it's probably one of the biggest things I learned from, from playing at running me with you and coach P was just that it was just that constant. You have to beat those guys. We won't say who those guys are right now, but you just have to beat those guys in that constant reiteration and repetition of that. And then in practice, yeah, you're right. We competed and, and we, we wanted to beat each other even when we were playing at that time. So it's interesting. How do you manage? I, I also think for me, I, I was also blessed with, with kids like you and Tyrone Smith and Damian Wait. And I mean, I could name a million guys, but you guys also had a personal pride. And especially for a guy like you who transferred in, when you guys transferred in, you wanted to make an, you wanted to show, hey, I'm going to earn this spot. I'm going to show you what I, so it's that constant competition. Coach P used to always say, well, what's your goal? I'm quoted in a video saying, and it's not my own line, but you begin with the end in mind. We were very lucky because we had an established program with a reputation and it attracted enough talent that we could mold it in a way to play as a team that it could be successful. Maybe other coaches or other programs weren't that weren't that lucky. And, and I understand that. But you look around what you have and you say, well, you know, I think we can win offsa. So our goal is going to be to win offsa. Well, what are you going to do to win offsa? Well, for your years, you had to win the Tri-City Championship to go to offsa. In the previous years, you had to win the Toronto Championship or lose in the Toronto Finals. Okay, so we got to do that. Well, how do you do that? Well, you got to win your league, City of York, or finish second. So you, you begin with the end in mind, and you, you, you figure out all the little steps along the way, the, the short-term goals. And then in September, you start rolling, and you start training, and you start practicing. And, you know, if you're a little organized, you have a way of putting things in. And you know by, by this date, you should have all these things in, and this is how we're going to play, and we'll add this, this, and this along the way. And depending on the type of coach you are, I mean, some people are a little more detailed or a little more, they might have 20 different sets or they might have five sets or they might have a freelance offense that they just constantly work on. But whatever it is, you have a plan. You got a plan. You know, what they say is failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Well, I mean, that's true because nobody wins by fluke. Mm -hmm. Even if you're an underdog, you've still worked very hard to get to the point where you could win something. And winning is not the only thing. It's not. I mean, it, but but it is a, a pretty good it's 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 a good motivator and it's also a way to bring people together and say this is our goal and maybe somebody has a different goal maybe somebody wants to be no i want to be a 30 point game scorer yeah but we don't want you to play that way because our goal is this maybe you have to leave and i've seen coach petrashak cut starters along the way that weren't with the program you got to have kids with both feet in they can't have one foot in and one foot out because that's going to cause problems you know you you've all got to have that that same this is our goal, not my goal, our goal. Us, we, our, it's always team. That kind of bridges to my next question, which is managing the, the players' egos. And I'm sure they've, they've varied over the years. How do you go about managing that 
you know, you've played with or you've coached or whether assistant or head coach, future NBA players uh, versus kids that are, you know, going to college versus none of the above. And I think regardless of where they're going, sometimes there's always some ego element to it. And how do you manage that? I think, like I said, from, from the first minute you, you start talking and you, you're very open and honest with what how you see the program evolving or the season and how you see their role. And role identification is all, always very difficult, but guys that are better scorers are going to get more shots. Guys that are better shooters are going to get more shots. You, you know, it, instead of making rules about, well, only he shoots the ball. No, you, you know, you play and you practice and you kind of, you, you impart your philosophy along the way. And what you are in September should be very different from what you are in March. And, and you know, you hope that guys buy in. And if they don't, then there's discussions along the way. You know, I'm going to quote, I'm going to quote Tom Izzo. And he's, you know, I don't know if he's big on punishment, but if they're not doing what, what, what's part of our game plan, then it's either run or sit. In practice, you run. In games, you sit. And hopefully by those two things, you get on board. If not, then it's the next step, which is maybe a suspension or sitting out a game. You know, I'm not big on that, but sometimes it has to happen because the team is the, the team goal is the biggest thing. And hopefully we can get enough guys, their ability to score or do what they do. I mean, everybody thinks scoring is the biggest thing, right? So when people score, they're happy, you know, but the world sees how your team plays where there's not anybody who's going to score 40. But if there was somebody who could score 40 within the team concept, it's probably going to happen like a Steph Curry, let's say. So you take this, you, you take these players, you're, you're kind of bringing them together. You're sharing kind of your philosophy of things. And to your credit, you've been able to build a winning culture or be a part of a winning culture throughout your entire career. What do you see as the difference between the teams that win and the teams that lose? Talent notwithstanding, I think the one word is discipline. Most coaches are at that level are good enough to, to get you to the promised land. But is it, are they good enough to get the 12 or 15 guys to be disciplined enough to make the right decisions at the right time to do the right thing on a consistent basis? Discipline, right? It's sacrifice, it's discipline, you, you know, you work as a team. Those are all sacrifices. Listen, work hard, play smart, play hard, have fun, and make your corrections along the way. So I, I think the difference between winning and losing more often than not is discipline. As athletes, mental toughness, does that really play a role? Do you spend a lot of time assessing that, whether a player has the, the mental toughness? I wouldn't say I have to take a lot of time assessing it, but, I mean, you can see it, who's mentally tough and who's not. You know, there, there, there are kids that are physically tough and kids that are mentally tough. And, again, it's, you know, the, the high school season or the prep season is very long, so you, you're going to get a good, a good idea by the end who's what and what's who and who are the five guys you're going to have on there in the best of times, you know, regarding foul trouble and injuries, who are the five guys that you know are going to go out there and, and execute in disciplined fashion and be mentally tough? Because, you know, the game is all, like you said, it's mental. Yeah, we prepare the physical, but the mental stuff is, is, is also a huge portion. So what do you see as the biggest challenge for you? The hardest part. Well, don't forget, I don't get paid to coach. You got to teach your three math classes. Then you got to go to your practice and you got to plan your season. You got to do all the fundraising. You wear so many hats. I, I think the, the, the biggest challenge for me was not letting it get me negative because I found that it was easy for me to let things get me negative. You know, you bring your, your negative day into the, in the gymnasium and then you're negative on your guys at the practice or at the game. 
and you get too negative. Dealing with that was probably the hardest thing for me personally. I always had talent. I mean, that I've had the best talent, but I always had a good collection of athletes that were good guys. You got to be good to be lucky and lucky to be good. And then it was a matter of training them the way I want to play. Every coach is different. Not, not many coaches coach like me, especially in Toronto. You know, I'm a little different. I'm not saying I'm better. I'm just different. But I, I get, yeah, I think for me, the thing was just, just coaching and coaching, not, not letting all the other stuff get involved in what's what the, the, we're coaching. Now we're playing, forget about math class, forget about the politics of the school or the school board or Toronto basketball, just coach your team, deal with the negative elsewhere. If you got something negative, maybe at, at the end of the day, go punch a punching bag. That was the hardest thing for me. I, I think at my best, when I was extremely positive, I was a way better coach. Interesting. I'm just reflecting as a player and basketball was like that escape from the, from the real world. It was that one place where you could just be at your optimal, be at your best and completely focus on just that thing. And as a coach, you're kind of coming in from class, dealing with administration. How do you get to that place as a coach? You're noting it as a challenge. How do you kind of get over that hump? What are you either telling yourself routines that you set up? What are you doing to get to that place where now you can focus on coaching? and not let the previous discussion of administration or work kind of get in the way of that. I, I think that also comes down to discipline, you know, and if you're, if you're the kind of guy that, that has a tough time with that, we'll do something about it. Maybe get some therapy, talk to somebody, talk to other coaches, ask them what they do. I, I found for me, it was, I, I always was excited to get to the gym, but again, even at, like at Henry Carr, I had so many responsibilities. Like I was dust mopping the floor. I was cleaning the gym. I was doing all this other, like I was doing 5,000 things, you know, and something had to give. I had to learn. And it was good to have good assistance. And it, as the years went on, I had so many great people to work with us. You know, Mike Falloon, Tony McIntyre, Rono Miller, Travis Noel, our strength and conditioning coach, uh, Jamie Cromwell the last couple of years. Uh, if I'm forgetting somebody, I apologize. Leon Archer, Mark Poyser. Seeing them in the gym, knowing that, you know, if I got to, if I got to sit down and take a break, I know that I can just say, here, guys, go take the practice, take the next drill, whatever. And I could trust them because they were good. You know, I trusted them because I knew what they were. They didn't just, it wasn't a fluke. They were really good people first, good people first and good coaches second. And when you put that together, it made it a lot easier, you know, because I was doing, I, I was doing so much, not just the coaching, just the organization and the fundraising, you know, trying to get sponsors and, and trying to deal with the school and managing the gym schedule, trying to get your teams enough practice time, but not being hurtful to other teams. And so you kind of, you make it through, you build a culture that you, you enjoy being in. What are some of the, the moments that you kind of cherish or remember or enjoy the most? I, I guess winning offset in 2016, where, where we played both prep and high school, I guess that was the pinnacle in terms of the team accomplishment. Our junior teams had some very, very great moments. I, I think our junior teams, not to disrespect anybody, but if we don't have five of the top 10 junior teams in the history of Canada, I'd be shocked. You know, they were so good. Um, so their moments were very important to me too. And then we would lose a lot of those guys because they would go to U.S. preps, but that was okay. You want kids to do what's best for them or what they think is what's best for them. And you don't take it as a knock. Um, so seeing guys like Tyler Ennis, I was at the draft when Tyler Ennis was drafted. And that was huge. And then a couple of years later, Dylan Brooks got drafted in the second round. And uh, he's a starter with the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, Sim Buller played a little bit in the NBA. But it's not just those guys that, that played at the highest level. Because we had a bunch of guys play national team and student team. It's all the kids. Just seeing them graduate, that 
seeing them graduate and become men and contributing members of society, like what we always said that we, we taught life lessons through basketball. So just to focus on those guys that made the NBA, that's really not who I am. And I love those guys. Don't get me wrong. The guy that became a plumber, you know, that's, that's just as important. And then they would come back and visit and come back with, with love in their hearts. I know we talked about this offline before. I'm going to mention here. And the idea of being a coach, kind of like being a father figure as well. Do you look at it in that way? How do you, how do you see that? I think if you have love in your heart, how can you not treat these kids like your sons? It doesn't matter what culture they are. Kids that work hard and smile when they see you. It's a father-son relationship. I think they know that. I think my guys know that they, I always got their back. Always. Like I just posted that picture of that alumni tournament that we won with Runnymede back in the day. That's a long time ago now, seven years. You know, that was just phenomenal, right? Like, I don't think... Oh, yeah, any- that was like 20 years after graduating from high school, you came back and coached our, our men's team to a championship yeah. against our nemesis Bathurst in the finals. <laughs> It was yeah. like a replay back in the days. I, I, I feel like I've been blessed to coach this game. And I have so much love and respect for the, like, you know how hard we practice. And, and I'm, I just marvel at what you can get young people to do with a goal in mind. Like, I'm not, you're not, we're not punishing you. I never like to run for punishment. I like to run for the sake of conditioning and, and hard drills. And, you know, dr- everything had to be difficult because you wanted practice to be harder. And then that, that goal of it's us against them, that's a unifying mentality, you know, and, and I always treated the guys like they were my own kids, if not better. I don't have any children. I have a stepdaughter, but my coaches would say like, like you treat these guys really well. Well, yeah, of course, of course, we're going to treat them all. They're working their asses off and we're going to teach them how to be men, how to dress, how to behave, how to be polite. And most of them already knew that because they had good parents, but sometimes you had to remind a few, you know, when we go to tournaments anywhere, whether it's in Southern Ontario or the U.S., we had to behave. You know, like we, we needed to be good representatives, of not only ourselves, the school, the school board, our, our, our community of Rexdale, right? Toronto, and then you're in the U.S., you're representing Canada. There's, there's no room for nonsense. You know, you want them to, not everybody is going to make a dollar playing basketball. And if you can, that's a blessing, whether it's here in Europe and the NBA, that's a blessing. But you got to be a good person. And I, But, you know, there's a lot of things that are important, you know, and, and I think they come to the forefront more when you lose. Because that's when you have to focus on, okay, we didn't win, even though that was the goal, but other things are important. You know, you have other things in your lives that are important. You know, being a gentleman, being polite, being respectful, showing love, going to work, going to work on time, you know, helping out your fellow man, being a good citizen. That's really what you're teaching through the sport. We could be playing football. We could be playing tennis. In the end, that's going to end at some point. And then you got to be, you, you want to become a good person out of that. And if I behaved in a way that I thought was wrong, I would own up to it. If I made a mistake, I would own up to it. Guys, I messed up. I apologize to you because you you can't correct them without correcting yourself. Thank you for that. The players, and just taking this a step further, over the years, this is a lot of players over the years. How many, how do you keep in touch? How many of them are you able to keep in touch with or touch base with? In the age of social media, you try and stay in contact in any way you can. And, you know, I'll share my number with anybody. Call me, text me, email me. Like one of my former guys just just sent me a text. um, Can I use you again as a reference for my, I think it was his visa, US visa or something. I can't remember. Of course. You hope they want to stay in touch with you. But, you know, life goes on and sometimes you forget and you go on a different path. But somehow you're going to meet up somewhere again. And hopefully it's a good interaction. I'm not perfect. I'm sure there's a few players that probably aren't so enamored with me. And that's okay. Because I'm not so enamored with everybody either. But you just if it's important for me to stay in touch. It's very important for me. And I pride myself on it. 
I don't know about other coaches, you know, but I will, I will always do my thing to stay in touch. Always. But you know, you got to meet somewhere in the middle. You got to want it. I want it. Looking back at myself as an high school athlete now, the amount of time that you put in as a coach, I think as athletes, when we're in high school, we kind of take it for granted. Like the amount of tournaments, the weekend, after school, the early morning practices, the whatever it may be, the amount of time that you put in as a coach. And now I'm thinking, I am now done with school. I haven't picked up a basketball in years. And I'm trying to think, could I actually put in the kind of time that the coaches have put into me during those times? Yeah, but what's more and, important is your family. So I never had children, which, and I wasn't married, so it made it a little easier because other guys who were married and started to have children, you know, they, they had to take a step back. You know, the athletes put in almost the same amount of time. I mean, they're not, they're not putting in the time in terms of the organization, the behind the scenes stuff, the running tournaments, the org- like there's a lot of time that people don't have any idea, but they're putting in time too. And then you graduate and it's another group. Um, you got to love it. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not for somebody who doesn't love it. And it's definitely not for the money because I have not made a dollar off basketball. And that's the sad thing is because, as, as I've recently realized, I'm not sure anybody else cares. I'm not sure the powers that be really understand. Like, I spend between 1,000 to 1,500 hours outside of my contract day, day, day schedule, my three classes and my school day, 1,000 to 1,500 hours a year coaching basketball at Father Henry Carr and volunteer. That's in a volunteer capacity. And I'm not sure they care. And when I say they, I don't mean you guys. I don't mean the parents. And of course, there are some parents that don't care too. Don't get me wrong. They're not all great. Just like not all coaches are great. So I tell all young coaches, and I hate to admit this, don't, don't do it the way I did because you can get paid now, especially now with, with, the, with the advent of the prep basketball. And you can get paid to do this. That's the way to go because then you're not going to be regretful or, or have any anger over it. I'm angry now. I'm going to say that publicly. You know, you give up, a like you said, you give up a large portion of your life and you do it because you love it. Of course, it's not, you're not doing it to get, to get a pat on the back. That's not what it's about. But there are benefits, obviously, to the to the athletes in the program, to the students in the school, to the school board, to the community. And that needs to be recognized. Even if you make a mistake here and there, that, that's okay. You're going to make a mistake. People that do make mistakes. If you don't do anything, if you teach from 830 to 330 and go home and don't do anything extracurricular, extracurricular you're not going to make many mistakes. But if you're putting in 1,000 extra hours or 1,500 extra hours and you're there at night, late at night, and you're there on Sundays, doing other things and you're crawling out because your back is broken and you're the last car in the parking lot and you do it over a 15, 20 year period that needs to be respected. And as long as the players and their families respect what we did, that's good. It would be nice if the powers that be also did, but you know what? You can't control them. You know, there is a little bit of ego in this too. There's a little intrinsic motivation. I enjoyed, I enjoyed coaching. I enjoyed competing, winning or losing. It was still a joy. If we lost, it wasn't the end of the world. It was sad, but it wasn't the end of the world. Because there was the whole season, the whole journey. You know how they say, enjoy the journey, not just the end result. Well, that's very true. But if I had to, if I had to suggest to a young coach who also had a teaching degree, you know, I, I can't say that I, I, would, I would suggest that you go and teach and be a volunteer. I, I don't think so. I don't think that's the way to go anymore because I'm not sure, I'm not sure it's respected to the level it should be. Not everybody's being appreciated the way they should be. You know, the other thing is too, is if you've ever done it, how many principals have coached? How many superintendents have coached? If they've never done it like we do it, now you think about 1,000 to 1,500 hours a year, you know, late practices, always the late practice, right? Like you said, tournaments on weekends, traveling. And when you're traveling, I'm responsible for the kids. That's a lot. You know, there's a lot of organization, but they haven't done it. So how could they possibly know? Find out, ask. 
understand what we do. And again, if we make a mistake, okay, there's mistakes that can be punished and dealt with. I'm going to transition a little bit to kind of the difference in basketball over the years. And so I know that there's administratively all kind of dribbling directly through the school system. There are all these transfers, et cetera. And now we're evolving into what is a prep system. And you're even suggesting that you know coaches do it differently. They should be getting paid. I'm not fully up to speed on it, but what, what do you see are the major differences between how basketball has evolved over the years and how it's impacted kind of opportunities for kids? Well, the game itself has changed. I think it's become more of a perimeter offense-oriented style of basketball. There's no inside game anymore, per se. You know, we used to run three out, two in motion offense, then it became four out, one in. And for the last couple of years, I've run five out. You know, we have other sets, but so the game itself has changed. And there's so many more kids playing basketball that there are, I don't want to say the kids today are better, but there's, there's, there's a larger number of better players. And, and now, with, now with the prep scene, you know, those better players are flocking to certain programs where we can all compete against each other. Um, and also with the advent of AAU over the years, and that started 20 years ago, that's allowed a lot of exposure for kids. So we are seeing more Canadians in the NBA and playing professionally. There's a lot, a lot more people that are coaching. And there's a lot of people that are trainers that are getting paid to train and coaches that are getting paid to coach. And there's a lot more opportunities you know, we were lucky at Renamid because we were sponsored by many, we were sponsored by Converse, then Adidas, and then finally Reebok, and they were throwing things at us left and right, as you remember. But not many programs were sponsored back then, you know, very few, as a matter of fact. There's a lot more sponsorship dollars now. We, we've been lucky to be sponsored by Jordan Brand for the last several years. Uh, we were the first Jordan Brand sponsored team in Canada, but Nike has sponsored some teams, and then Jordan Brand sponsored another team. There's a lot more sponsorships. There's just a lot more opportunities. And the kids are making the best of it. I don't want to say that they're better. It's just that they've, they, they've come at the right time. They've worked hard. I think the, the evolution of the game has allowed us a chance to, to make a name for ourselves. And in terms of the funding, there's a big difference because every school is different. Every school board's different. But there's not a lot of money for extracurriculars. And there's this notion of equity. Well, I mean, every program in the school deserves a little bit of money. So now, you for the longest time, we've been charging fees to play on teams and a lot of fundraising and you know running tournaments and just just trying to make ends meet. If you want something to happen and the school's not going to pay for it, you got to find a way to pay for it. So when we started the prep program and we actually played in a prep league and not in the in the Catholic league, the high school league, the principal clearly said to me, Paul, I cannot fund this with school funds. And I said, that's okay, Rob, we'll we'll have to charge a little more, but we'll, you know, we'll we'll fundraise. I got people that donate money and we'll run our raffles. And we found a way to do it. We found a way to make ends meet. That was, we weren't making any money off it, that's for sure. Um, you'd have to charge a lot more to make money off it. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but we were not making any money off it. As you're speaking and sharing, it's kind of that theme of just doing what it takes to win. In essence, is kind of what's coming out, right? It's you got to play. The kids got to have an opportunity. And just always finding that way to either create that opportunity to win in some way. Yeah, well, well, well there's a will, there's a way. It's not about winning. I think it's about opportunity more than anything, an opportunity to compete and, sh and showcase your team. And I mean, winning is nice, don't get me wrong, but it's not just winning. Yeah. Uh, when, when I say winning, I don't mean winning the game, but whether it's it's really the context of winning, I've taken the winning, could be winning the game, but winning at life, just winning at whatever you do. Like there's a certain essence of wanting to excel would be another way of putting it. Yes. Yes. Excelling. Excelling. And excelling can mean a lot of things. I, I see a lot as post-secondary opportunities. If, if you can help kids get a free education. And remember, at, at the prep level, the blue chippers aren't coming to me. They were at the high school level. I was getting a lot of blue chippers, you know, guys like Tyler and Dylan and a bunch of other guys who are really, really good players. But they're going other places now that are scholarshiping them. 
we're starting with a product that may be not as polished to begin with, but hopefully by the end, they have an opportunity. And I would always say to parents, it's not much I can guarantee you, but an opportunity. And at the end, you'll have some options, whether it's a Canadian college, a Canadian university, a junior college, there will be some opportunities. Uh, and we've helped a lot of kids that maybe if they were somewhere else, wouldn't get a scholarship. And then once they get the scholarship, they have to, it's up to them to maintain that level and, and stick with it, you know, but a free education uh, is nothing to sneeze at, you know, and even if they didn't get a free education, if they were, if they, maybe they weren't good enough for that. Maybe they had to go to university and pay for it. That's okay. We'll help you do that too. You know, not everybody can, can go for free, but there are, there are different levels of success. And there's a lot of ways you can define success and, and excellence. But how do you define success in what you do as a coach, as a teacher? I think if you can meet or exceed your potential, that's success. Everybody's different. Every student's different. Every athlete's different. Every team is different. If you can meet or exceed your potential, I think that's success. And even if you fall a little bit short of that, but you've learned a lot of great lessons along the way that you can use in the future as you move on and, and graduate to other levels of life, I think that's success too. Potential doesn't always mean winning. Maybe your potential is being the fifth place team in that division. Well, that's your potential. If you could exceed that, you, you've kind of exceeded your potential. Again, it's, it's all relative to where you're starting at and what you're working with. I love that perspective. I want to thank you for, for taking the time to do this today. I do have a couple more questions for you. You said something today that kind of caught me off guard, so I'm curious. But the question I had is, what's next? Are you going to go back to coaching? Are you still thinking about it? Or what's next in general? Yeah, that's a tough one. I, I, I don't know what next year holds. There's a lot of factors that play in, in, in what happens next. You know, maybe, maybe we progress to a private program. Maybe we don't. It, it's just way too early. I, I, I don't know. And if I don't coach again, that's good because that's okay too, because I got a lifetime of memories. You know, being off for the last year and a bit off of coaching and working a little bit more on me and my family and coaching is great. It's, it's absolutely wonderful. I don't regret one second of it. I, I regret some things, but not, not the coaching part of it. Um, but there's also something to be said for taking care of yourself, you know, getting in the weight room again, getting a little stronger, taking, you know, trying to heal this IT band that's driving me nuts. There's a whole other world outside of that. And, and you know, I always said, we, you know, we get back to school in August or we start training in August and, and you hit the ground running and then you don't stop until March. And, and, you know, if you don't stop, you're okay. But when you stop, like COVID stopped us and, and, you, and you start to think. And it's, it's been an interesting year and a bit. And I've seen a little different perspective. I've, my eyes have been opened up to a lot of things that maybe I overlooked or, or didn't realize were happening. So there will be some changes. Stay tuned. I got my closing question is, is the same for everybody. The show is Live Harmony. My question for you is first thoughts or words that come to mind when you hear the word harmony. Inner peace. Harmony in your life is inner peace. Have you done the right things? Have you done your best? And if you haven't, did you make amends for it? Have you corrected it? Can you sleep at night where you know you've been a good person? And, and, and I think being a good person is far more important than being the best shooter or the best dribbler or the best team because you're, you're only an athlete for a very small portion of your life, but you're, you're a person for all of your life. You, you reap what you sow. And I think that's what harmony is for me. I can go to bed at night knowing that I've done mostly really, really good things. Maybe 99 to 1. You make some mistakes. No regrets. No regrets from my end. Awesome. Thank you for that, Coach. Like I said, thank you for coming out. Really enjoyed it today. Catching up and getting your perspective on building and willing culture. Thank you. It's my, it's my pleasure to be here. And I, and I thank you for including me. It's, you know, I, I follow all you guys. You know, you're, you're one of the one thing about you is you want to you want a university national championship that that doesn't I, I don't forget things like that. You know, I, 
when I think about you and I think about those years, I think about, you know, some of those trips that, that, that went over Bathurst where, uh, you know, I, I often wonder how did coach Petrashak know that they were going to play one, three, one. And we put in, we put in a couple different sets for the one, three, one, and we won the game hitting a, then you hit a three on a, on a skip the winning three on the corner. Yep. A back screen. And, you know, I, I think back to that and I, you know, how the hell did he just get lucky and think that they were going to play one, three, one, you know, um, I have a lot of good memories of you and your teammates, the guys before you and the guys after you. And for me, all the guys that I coach are in the same basketball family, whether it's Runnymede, C.W. Jeffries, Father Henry Carr. And, and if anybody's watched all those those three teams play that I was involved with, they all played the same way. And that's something I'm very proud of because they played the right way. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear from you. Check the description to get details on how you can contact us and share your thoughts. Remember to follow this podcast so that you get notified when a new episode is released. Feel free to leave a rating and review as well. Live Harmony is available on all of the major platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Check your preferred podcast platform for availability. You can also follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Live Harmony. You can also email us at info at liveharmony.com. And until next time, continue inspiring each other to live in harmony. Hey everyone, I'm Asha Laps. And I'm Kurt Henry. And we are your hosts for Live Harmony. Live Harmony is about stories that inspire. Being, doing, and having more. Impacting our communities relationships that transform learning growing and giving live harmony living the life we love and loving the life we live